Hello, and welcome to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Sound can be beautiful. It can be terrifying too. It can be healing. It can be destructive. It can make us cry with joy, or cry with sadness, or drive us insane with tedium and monotony. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the effects of sound, what it can do to us psychologically, how it could be weaponized, and how there's just no accounting for musical taste. The first story I have titled The Frequency of Hauntings, pun intended. You are listening to Tchaikovsky's Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. But more pertinent to this story is the instrument it's being performed on. It's called the hydrocrystallophone, otherwise known as the bowl organ or the glass harmonica, and it was the brainchild of one of the American founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, who was inspired by watching a performance on a verilon, a set of musical glasses filled to different levels with water to produce different notes, and played by wetting one's fingers and rubbing the rims of the glasses. Franklin's glass harmonica works on the same principle. It has glass bowls of varying sizes that are turned by a mechanism resembling a pedal sewing machine or a potter's wheel. It made its debut in 1762 and was immediately popular, garnering much interest from the public and one Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, who would eventually write a piece specifically for the instrument. Which might prompt you to ask, why don't we hear about this machine anymore? Well, a persistent rumour began to circulate that the instrument caused a profound state of melancholia, or depression to us modern folk. Other side effects were said to be nausea and dizziness. The rumours are largely unsubstantiated, but nonetheless theories as to why have been put forward, one being that the human ear is incapable of detecting the origin of its tones. Thus, some find it disorienting, for a select few, even creating a palpable sense of fear, something we more often associate with circumstance, or in the case of so-called haunted buildings, locations. One such haunted location was the laboratory where British engineer Vic Tandy worked during the 1980s. Colleagues had been complaining of feelings of unease and a dislike of being there alone. Tandy himself dismissed their protests as nonsense, until working back late one night, he was overcome with fear and the feeling that he was being watched. And that's when he saw it. Movement, out of the corner of his eye. A grey shape. When he looked up, whatever it was he thought he saw, was gone. The following day he returned... An avid fencer, he had brought with him his fencing foil, with plans to do some maintenance. He secured it in a vice before leaving the room briefly, and upon his return, he found the foil oscillating up and down in the vice, seemingly of its own accord. And that, as they say, is when the penny dropped. What 
paranormal entities notwithstanding, could silently and invisibly create vibration? Answer? Infrasound, or sound waves below the limit of audibility. Around 20 hertz. He would discover that the lab's extractor fan was the culprit, emitting a frequency of 19.98 hertz. Experiments have suggested that this frequency can cause feelings of unease, sorrow and fear in approximately 22% of the population. Tandy would go on to further study the phenomenon, eventually writing a paper titled The Ghost in the Machine, which would see him hitting the lecture circuit. If you are at all curious as to whether you are susceptible to the spooky effects of infrasound, videos can be found on YouTube that play at the frequency of 18.98 Hz. Or, if you're anything like me, you can play it to friends without their knowledge and see which ones get spooked. A practical joke that might turn out to be extraordinarily amusing. Our second story today involves sound as a weapon, and it's something I've been curious about for quite some time. You see, in 1993, when I was just 18 years old, there was a famous siege known as the Waco Siege, or Waco Massacre, which took place in a compound near Waco in Texas, hence the name. A religious group calling themselves the Branch Davidians, led by one David Koresh, were suspected of hoarding illegal weapons, and so the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms obtained a search and arrest warrant for the compound. When they attempted to serve the warrant, a fierce gun battle ensued, killing four of the government agents and six Branch Davidians. The siege that followed would last for 51 days and was broadcast around the world, and if, like myself, you're old enough to remember these events, you may recall an odd tactic employed by the FBI who had become involved by that stage, with the hope of driving the Branch Davidians to the point of peaceful surrender. Sound. Specifically, music. Very, very bad music. Well, that's subjective, isn't it? But what the FBI considered to be irritating music included Tibetan chants, Christmas carols, and kitschy 60s hits, blasting songs like Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Were Made For Walkin' at incredible volume, repeatedly. In this case it didn't work, the siege would end with the compound engulfed in flames, resulting in the deaths of 76 Branch Davidians. But as it should happen, using music to exhaust and demoralise an opponent wasn't a new idea. Similar tactics were used during the Vietnam War, and during the siege of Stalingrad in 1942, Soviet troops played tangos through loudspeakers all night with the aim of keeping the German forces awake, or at least disrupting their sleep. The Germans themselves weaponized sound by attaching sirens to the wings of Stuka dive bombers. As the plane descended from the sky in preparation to strike, it was accompanied by a high-pitched scream designed to strike fear into anyone in earshot and demoralize the enemy. As one French lieutenant recalled, quote, the noise from the siren of the diving aircraft drills into your ear and tears at your nerves. You feel as though you want to scream and roar. End quote. The sirens were nicknamed Jericho trumpets after the Battle of Jericho in the Book of Joshua, where it is written that the Israelites marched around the city's walls each day for six days. Then on the seventh, the priests blew ram's horns and the city's walls fell. 
Our modern world has an assortment of sonic weaponry such as the LRAD or Long Range Acoustic Device, which is generally used for crowd control, but they have been used by the military in theatres such as Iraq. The LRAD has found use in civilian life too, by ships defending themselves from pirates, and unfortunately by whaling vessels, which have used them to repel Greenpeace and other environmental groups. But these devices have been around for some years, and technology is rarely static. Like language, it's constantly evolving. They have even thought up a better mousetrap. And there is no reason to assume sonic weaponry has reached its zenith. So what and I use this word loosely here, improvements have been made over the years in secret underground bunkers by secret service organisations around the world. Well, a clue might be found in a series of incidents that took place in Cuba in 2016. A number of employees of the US Embassy in Havana began hearing peculiar high-pitched noises, sometimes of such intensity that the noise was almost unbearable. When a diplomat working for the embassy was so overwhelmed by a strange sound like that of insects in his home one afternoon, he would find himself unable to block the sound, despite closing all doors and windows, and needed to drown the sound out with electronic media, until it finally eased up and stopped some 30 to 40 minutes after it began. The following afternoon he would hear the strange sound again, this time in the presence of a colleague from the embassy who not only heard the noise too, but claimed he had heard it before, in his own home, on several occasions, for anything up to an hour. This discussion would prompt the two to come forward, and emboldened by this move, more embassy employees would come forward speaking of odd, disturbing sounds that seemed to be, in many cases, contained entirely in their heads. Some 80 people were directly affected, either in their homes or in one instance in a hotel room, where the victim was bombarded by a grinding noise targeted at specific spots in the room. And it wasn't just the US Embassy that were having these problems. Soon, the Canadian Embassy began detecting cases too. When the Cuban government was approached, they took the unprecedented step of allowing a joint investigation by the FBI and the Canadian Mounted Police on Cuban soil but the investigation proved fruitless. Over 20 of the victims sustained mild traumatic brain injury and some hearing impairment. The idea that sonic weaponry was employed has both its defenders and detractors, and at the time of this recording in 2021, exactly what happened to this cluster of people during 2016 and 2017 remains unclear. Anthropogenic or otherwise, these sounds, in some cases, caused permanent physiological damage but their origin at the time of this recording remains a mystery. An extraordinary mystery. What you are listening to, believe it or not, is a song called My Pal Foot Foot by the 1960s all-female outfit The Shags, comprising of sisters Dorothy, Betty, Helen and Rachel Wigan. 
I didn't stumble across an old reel-to-reel recording of the fumblings of a garage band in its early incarnations. No, this is a track from their 1969 studio album, Philosophy of the World. Extraordinary that it was ever released, did I hear you ask? Well, no. That was assured by the girl's father, Austin Wiggins, who bankrolled the recording and distribution. 1,000 copies were ordered, but only 100 were delivered. The 900 other copies, the producer and Austin's money, were never heard from again. The copies that were pressed were sent out to local radio stations, but unsurprisingly didn't garner very much interest. Not an extraordinary tale so far, is it? Why this story made the cut to be on the Extraordinarium? Well, that travels along a greater timeline, beginning with a prediction made by the girl's paternal grandmother during a palm reading. She proclaimed that Austin would marry a strawberry blonde and that two of his daughters would be born after his mother had passed away. His daughters would ultimately form an influential music group, and I'll do a little sidebar here because sometimes that quote is given as a popular music group, but I'm sticking with influential. You'll find out why later. Anyway, the first two parts of the prediction came true, and so the superstitious Austin, seized by the apparent certainty of the prophecy, took the girls out of school, bought them some instruments and equipment, got them some music lessons and set them to practicing. The bewildered girls, who had no pretensions of being famous musicians, went along with Dad and did their level best. Eventually, they performed gigs at outlets as prestigious as the local hall and a nursing home, and Austin felt they were ready to begin their recording career. So off to the studio they went. Of the 100 copies delivered, one made its way into the hands of legendary musician Frank Zappa, who would make a guest appearance on the Dr. Demento show and played a couple of tracks from the album, referring to them as, quote, better than the Beatles, and instantly giving the album a modicum of credibility, at least amongst his hardcore fan base. Whether he was serious or not is hard to ascertain. Nonetheless, it sparked something, and by the mid-1970s, a handful of stations, most notably WBCN-FM out of Boston, would play the occasional track, earning them an underground cult following. Philosophy of the World would be reissued on Rounder Records in 1980, with Rolling Stone honouring the shags with Comeback of the Year. If, like me, you collect vinyl, original pressings are highly sought after and worth a small fortune though more for their scarcity than anything else, I suspect. Philosophy of the World was also given a ranking of five by Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain on a list of his 50 favourite albums. The surviving Wigan sisters are to this day still baffled the album should be so esteemed by so many, not really being fans of it themselves. And it does seem a little extraordinary, but what I find most extraordinary is that despite all the odds, the prophecy made by their grandmother all those years earlier, coincidence or not, well, it actually came true. My pal's name is Football, Football. he always likes to roam. My pal's name is Football, Football. I never find him home. Extraordinary. You've been listening to Mr. Benson's Extraordinarium. Created, researched and hosted by me, Dan Benson, 
If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and continue to join me as I uncover extraordinary stories from around the globe and throughout history. Till next time, peace, love, light. Take care. Catch ya.